Well, hello once again. I'm so glad that you're with us online. Literally, wherever you are, it's so different now being online. One of the cool things is, is it doesn't matter where you are around the country or around the world, we can all be part of this movement of God called Chase Oaks together. So I'm really, really glad you're here. Today, we are starting a new series called The Secret Sauce. And it's a series about relationships, just helping all of our relationships get significantly better. And so I encourage you to invite people to it and uh, and also man, let's just come each week ready to allow God to speak into this important area of life. And one of the reasons that we're doing this series now, I mean, it's always good to do a relationship series, but it's become it's because we're in this uh, thing called a pandemic. Did you know that um, it, it look it up online like it's a thing, like it's for real. And and I'm not even talking about covid 19. That's true. We are in that pandemic. I think we all know that. But there's another pandemic that existed before COVID-19 that is more widespread than COVID-19, that is actually more deadly than COVID-19. And it was something by health officials, Surgeon General and so on, who referred to it as an epidemic or a pandemic. I'm not just making that up. And the one I'm talking about is this epidemic or pandemic called loneliness. That in our culture, we are lonelier than we've ever been. And loneliness is one of those things that has a stigma attached to it. So it's hard to admit to. It's kind of like being an Astros fan right now. You don't really, there's a lot of them, but you don't really want to admit it right now. And, and loneliness is that way because you feel like you're saying, yeah, I'm a loser if I'm lonely. But the truth is, it is so widespread. If you feel lonely at times, and what I mean by that, by lonely, is if you don't have the kind of deep connections with other people that we're created for to flourish in life, that's what I mean by lonely. And as I said, we're lonelier than ever. Um, when uh, I went to high school in the 1980s, and, uh, and back then it, it maybe felt lonely because Billy Idol was singing Dancing With Myself, and Billy Squire was singing Lonely Is The Night. And, but in 1985, when I graduated from high school, in this big nationwide survey, a lot of people described themselves as lonely when they were like, how many you know, are lonely? One out of five people, 20 percent said, yeah, I'm a lonely person, don't have deep connections with other people. By 2013, that had changed a lot. By 2013, it had doubled. Forty percent of Americans claimed to be lonely. No significant deep connection with another person. And then in 2019, just this last year, in this huge study they did, um, it went way up from there. Well over 50% of Americans said, yeah, I'm lonely. Which is ironic when we're in some ways more connected than we've ever been techno- you know, with technology and yet feel more lonely than ever. And another shift that happened over the last few years is it used to be the older you were, the more likely you were to be isolated and to feel lonely. But that has totally shifted. In fact, here's that 2019 study by Generation. Uh, Generation Z, those 18 to 23, these are the people who know what TikTok is. Um, 79% said, claim to be significantly lonely. 79%. Millennials, 24 to 39, 71%. Gen X, I am barely a Gen Xer, but I'm hanging on to a baby. I'm 53, but Gen X, 40 to 53, 65%. Baby boomers, 50%. The silent generation, 73 plus, said 38% claim to be lonely. 
which is really remarkable when you think about it. The younger you are, the more likely you are to feel lonely, even though the younger you are, you're probably more connected when it comes to social media and stuff like that. But it's interesting because that study did a follow up where they had people who were young adults get off social media for some months. And what they found was is that most of those people reported to feel less lonely after taking a break from social media than before, uh, which is which is just interesting. And you might think, well, the the key is to be connected with somebody, right, to meet somebody, to to be married or live with somebody or get connected romantically with somebody. And that does make a difference. Um, Sixty nine percent of people who are single um, said, yeah, lonely. But 51% of those who are married or living with someone also claim to be lonely. Because just because you're with somebody doesn't mean that you're connected in a deep way with somebody. Because that connection is not, doesn't just happen. And, and that's what we're going to be talking about today because it, it matters a lot. The depth of our connection, uh, it, certainly joy in our life, spirituality, uh, most of what God does in our life, he does through other people. But even health. Like the reason the Surgeon General called it a health pandemic, um, a health epidemic in our culture, culture of loneliness is because the way God designed us, we just don't function well. Even our bodies, I mean, our souls, our psyche doesn't function well, but even our bodies don't. Like people who don't have deep connections with other people, their immune system is suppressed, more likely to get sick, less likely to get better, uh, less likely to recover from injury. Um, people without really deep connection are more prone to dementia, uh, more prone to cardiovascular disease, as well as, of course, things like anxiety and depression. Um, having not enough deep connection with other people, being lonely, it actually matters more to our lifespan. It shortens lifespan more than eating badly, more than smoking all the time. I mean, I think we know we want to be healthy, so we eat and we exercise, and that's good, and we should it keep us going. But actually, the most important thing we could do is strengthen our connections if we want to be healthy with other people. Uh, because of that, a, a friend of mine who was a pastor here on staff for years, a guy named Don Overton, went off uh, up to Colorado to, start to be a senior pastor at a church. They were doing a, a big a small group push to get people into small groups. And they passed out these T-shirts that said, better to eat Twinkies together than broccoli alone. Amen. Right. But um, but that's true. It'd be better to have a worse diet ever and be have deep connections with other people than to eat broccoli alone. Now, some of you are thinking, well, why don't we get connected and eat broccoli? Okay, you know, you win. But right. But the problem is the reason most of us don't have these deep connections is because they're not easy. And and so today, that's what we're going to talk about as we start. This whole series is going to be about what are the essential components to these kind of relationships. But today we're going to start by saying, how do we take relationships from a shallow place to a much deeper place? How do we go from the shallow end to the deep end in our relationships? And it would probably be helpful for you to think about a relationship. Now, today we're going to talk about how you find people that you can go deep with. So some of you say, I don't know that I really have somebody like that. We'll talk about that. But you may have somebody, a friend, uh, your spouse, a child or something like that. You say, man, I would love to take this relationship deeper. How do we do that? Keep that in mind as we as we look today um, at the life of Jesus, because Jesus was a was God who came in human. You know, he became human, lived among us. And one of the things he was to people was a friend. 
And he cultivated deep relationships and deep friendships, not with everybody, but with a few. And and so just from looking at Jesus as a friend, Jesus as a connector, Jesus as a relator, uh, which we'll dive into, comes this little formula, this little recipe, you could call it. The blank, if you want to know what depth is, blank plus blank leads to depth. Now, that's really helpful, right? All you got to know is blank plus blank equals depth. So we're pretty much done. No, we're not done because we got to fill in the blanks. Let's uh, we'll start with the second one first, because why not? So blank plus time equals depth. Uh, one of the things we talked about this a few weeks ago, that's true about growing relationally, whether it's with God or with other people, is you can't do it fast. That depth requires lots of unhurried time. There's no way to speed your way to depth. But you can't do that with everybody. Because there's no way to do that. You don't have time to go deep and spend this amount of time and and energy with everybody. Which means to go deep, you have to be selective. You have to prioritize a a few close people to go deep with. You can't go deep with everybody, but you can go deep with a few. Be nice to everybody, but go deep with some. Build a team around you. And that's what you see. That's what we see Jesus doing. Here's here is Jesus's relational world. He had an inner circle of about six people. Uh, That's three of the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and then Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. You can maybe throw Mary Magdalene in there, too, to make seven. But that that was like his posse. That was his crew. That That was his tight team. And you see him spend, devote a whole lot of time to these people, and he went really deep with those people. And then you have the 12 disciples, and then the 70, which was his extended ministry team. And then the crowd. Now, again, he was nice to everybody, friendly to everybody, but he went deep with a few. And you see that. Here's just a, a few passages of how he, how he was really selective. Like of the 12 disciples, there were three, Peter, James, and John. They were his tighter team. And in his biggest, you know, like his highest highs, he took these three with him. In the lowest lows, it was these three that he went deep with. Here's a, one of the highest highs of Jesus' ministry years. It's called the transfiguration. And transfiguration just means that Jesus, who we believe is God, who came as a human being, and the transfiguration demonstrates his divinity. Like he, you know, because when you saw him 2,000 years ago, you'd be, oh, yeah, that's a guy. But in the transfiguration, you realize that's not just a guy, that's God. And here's that story. Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him. And led them up a high mountain where they were all alone. And there he was transfigured before them. So he's demonstrating, showing his divinity. His clothes became dazzling white, whiter than anyone in the world could bleach them. And there appeared before them Elijah and Moses who were talking with Jesus. Now, this would have been really cool. Uh, I mean, think about it. You see Jesus in all his divinity. I don't know what that looked like, but it had to be amazing. And then Elijah and Moses, like the real ones, Elijah and Moses from heaven come and like hang out. And Peter and James and John are like, this is is nuts, man. This is crazy. In fact, Peter uh, just blurts out. He can't help it. He's so excited. He's like, hey, um, Jesus, what if we just uh, build tents and just live here all the time and just hang here? And like, this is our new thing. And, you know, I'd like to get to know Moses better. I mean, he's really cool. And Elijah's kind of mysterious. And it'd be cool to get to know. And, And Jesus like, dude, stop it. Like, that's not what this is. Just chill. But it was but all the other disciples would have loved to be there, but they weren't there. 
Because in his highest highs, there were a few people that Jesus wanted with him. And unapologetically, he gave priority to those three. Same way with his lowest lows. Jesus, you know, did you see some of the times, I mean, Jesus in his humanity struggled and was in. And I, I wish I had time to go to all these passages, but this one is the most dramatic. And it's and it's at the Garden of Gethsemane just before Jesus is going to be arrested in that garden. Uh, after right after this story that we're about to look at and he's going to be arrested. He's going to be beaten and go all that on. You know, he's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. Um, on Sunday, he's going to be resurrected from the dead. All that's in front of him. And you and I can't even imagine how difficult that was to think about. Because we're just human beings. But this is God, Jesus, God in human form as a human human who's going to die on the cross for the sins of the world. A sinless God is going to take on your sin and my sin. And he's going to pay the penalty for sin. And there's going to be a division in the Trinity. We don't, can't even understand this somehow between God the Father and God the Son, where Jesus is going to say, why have you forsaken me? That We, we can't even contemplate because we can't understand how dreadful of a thought that was to him. It's good for us but incredible sacrificial to him. In fact, if you wonder what it means to begin a relationship with God, it's, it's understanding Jesus died on the cross for your sins, to take the penalty that you and I deserve, to take that barrier of sin away and the guilt of our sin away. And you can begin a relationship with God just by saying yes to what he offers as a gift, which is forgiveness from sin. It's, this is not about trying to be good enough for God. This is about understanding what Jesus did for us and saying yes to him. And, and you can go on our website and there's more information about that, but... Um, or just reach out to uh, somebody on our team uh, on our website and we can talk to you about, hey, what does it mean to begin a relationship with God? But Jesus, go, realizing what he's about to do, it's super heavy. And so he takes his disciples. They went to a place called Gethsemane, this garden, and Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. So the 12, he wanted, in his lowest moment, he wanted them all with him. But notice, He then took Peter, James, and John along with him deeper into this olive grove. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. The twelve was great to have there. He didn't take the crowd. He took the twelve. But but then even deeper in the garden as he's going to pray to his father in, in in this agonizing thing, he wants Peter, James, and John to be there. Because they were his crew. Again, what you see in Jesus is he had deep relationships in part because he gave priority to a few. He related broadly, had lots of connections, lots of friendships, was loving with everybody, but he gave priority to a few. He had a team around him. And as a church, one of our DNA statements is related to that. We don't go it alone. That we do life together in groups and ministry and teams and serve our community in partnerships with others. That, that we build a team around us because we realize life is a team sport. It's the only way to do Christianity. It's the only way to do life. And if you wonder, well, man, that'd be great to have somebody to do life with, like to have one or two or three people or six people like Jesus did. That'd be awesome. But how do you find these people? And that's a great question because uh, the Bible talks a lot about being really choosy about who we select as kind of that core team around us, because you want people who can bring out the best in you. 
You want people that you can bring out the best in. If you're if you're a Jesus follower, somebody who's going to help you follow Jesus as you follow him together. Well, how do you find those people? Well, the good news is uh, you, you happen to be connected with this thing called Chase Oaks Church, whether you're uh, in this area or even wherever you are right now in this online era. Um, we're a church built around small groups, both digital groups and in-person groups that meet together. We're a church built around not just these large experiences like we're doing right now online, but small groups uh, as well as ministry teams. And that's where you'll tend to find these people. At least that's been my experience. That one of the uh, when I think about my small group, I had two amazing conversations this week with small group members who were just concerned about me because of something that, that our family's going through. My extended family with my brother who's sick and it was just so helpful for me to process. Same way I, I'm on a ministry team. Uh, you know, we, we all do ministry in teams and, and my team here is called the executive team. Uh, Glenn Breckner, we've served together for 25 years now. Jack Warren, our executive pastor is on that team. We've served together here at Chase Oaks for 31 years, but we've known each other for 34. Now, some, a lot of you, if you've been around Chase Oaks, you know Jack because he leads our staff. You'll see him on the platform some. Occasionally, we talk him into speaking, which is always great. He doesn't like it, but we do. Uh, but we make him do it sometimes. But here's how I met Jack 34 years ago now. So I was a freshman in college, and he was a senior in college. And went to the same uh, college, and we were in the same dorm. I'd never met him, didn't know him. So I move into this dorm, first day of college. And every room was supposed to have, because uh, you had roommates, two beds, two desks, two bookshelves. Well, our room and all the rooms around us had no bookshelves. So I was like, well, I'm going to go find a bookshelf. So I, I went to the resident assistant of this dorm uh, and went into the room. And when I went into his room, I knew exactly what happened with the bookshelves because he had separated big, tall ceilings. He'd taken all these bookshelves is pretty ingenious and made a wall that separated, that divided the room in half. So he's on one side, his roommate on the other had a doorway and it was really well done. But all these bookshelves, like, I don't know, 40 bookshelves are all, you know, making this wall. And so I come in, I said, yeah, we, you know, we don't have any bookshelves in our room. We need, you know, a bookshelf. That's why I'm here. And he's like, yeah, I'm sorry. They're all taken. And I point to the wall of bookshelves and I was like, really? Like, that's what that's your answer. They're all taken. And he said, yeah, that's my answer. They're all taken. So I was like, all right. So I go back to my room, unpacking everything. And about 45 minutes later, there's a there's a, a knock at the door. And I open the door. And for the first time in my life, I see Jack Warren. And he's got a hammer in his hand. There's a pile of wood uh, by him. And he said, hey. I, my name is Jack. I know you don't know me, but I was on the other side of that wall of bookshelves because Munch, who was the RA's name, is my roommate. And, uh, and I felt terrible about what he did. I, he did all that before I ever got here. The RA's get here early. And uh, I didn't do it, but I just, I, I feel really bad about it. And what I would love to do is build you a bookshelf. And so I went to the maintenance people and they gave me this wood. They gave me a hammer. They gave me nails. I just can't do it by myself. I need a little bit of help. Would you be willing to make a bookshelf together? And that's how we met. And we, we made a bookshelf together. And I used that for all four years. And if you know Jack, you'd be like, yeah, that's Jack. And uh, he's just that kind of guy. 
But we were also both Jesus followers and we were both into youth ministry. And so just building that bookshelf, he's like, hey, why don't you why don't you do youth ministry together at my church? And, you know, I'd love to, That'd be really great. I started doing that right away. And uh, and then he came out to Dallas to go to Dallas Theological Seminary Graduate School for Pastors. Uh, three years later, I came out. He was involved in this crazy church we call Chase Oaks Church. And said, hey, do you want to do, let's do youth ministry together here. He had just come on full-time staff. I became an intern. And we've been working together here ever since. And that is invaluable. I mean, the trust and the relationship. And just it's just amazing. And we met each other by just being on a team together. And that's how we got to know each other. But a number of years ago now, this, well, it's probably five, six years ago. It wasn't that long ago. We're having this conversation in my office. And, you know, on the org chart, org chart, I'm, you know, the lead pastor, so I'm, you know, uh, his boss. And, uh, but we're really on a team together. We do this together. And, and so he said, hey, Jeff, you know, he said, I, I think it, what's developed lately is, is probably the right thing. It's probably appropriate that we're, we're less friends and more coworkers. And, I mean, you're my boss and everything, so I, I get that. And, and, uh, and I, I think that's probably healthy. And I'm like, what are you talking about? It's like, man, we're not coworkers. I mean, we're, we're buds, man. We're, we're friends. And, and really what he was getting at, he wasn't complaining. He really thought, hey, maybe this is the best way to go, um, is that our interpersonal, like we related a lot, related to tasks and strategy and ministry and all that kind of stuff, because that's what I tend to do. And I just didn't really seem interested, that, that interested in life outside of our work. And he's like, hey, that's okay. Like, I'm not complaining. I think that's probably. And I was like, no, that's not okay. And it just helped me realize how, how much I have to be intentional with my personality. I don't know about you. To give the time that relationships demand. And, it, and this is both about selectivity. To say, hey, make sure you've got a team. Make sure you have a crew. And then give priority to those few so that those relationships can go deep. And we'll talk about how you find those people. And, and I'll make that real practical here in a minute. But it takes time. But time by itself doesn't do enough. You can spend 100% of your time with somebody and never go deep without this other ingredient, and that is authenticity. Authenticity is the willingness to be known, taking the risk to be known. You know, right now we're wearing all these masks, right, all the time, and anybody ready not to do that anymore. But, man, in our relationships, we should be tired of masks, too. But we wear them all the time. It's, it's just image management. And we all do it. I mean, we, we kind of have this image of ourselves. that Hey, we're together. We're good and all that. And, uh, and, and if you think about it, if anybody in history ever felt pressure to look like everything was great all the time and project this image of togetherness rather than being authentic if he's struggling, wouldn't it be Jesus? Because Jesus is God. <laughs> Right. I mean, our creator who came here, took on, became human, uh, came here for us. And I mean, you don't want to see God freaking out, you know, if you're one of the disciples or something like that. I mean, it's kind of like when I think image management, um, I have my I have a buddy here with me. Uh, This is uh, Clint Eastwood. If you if you recognize Clint Eastwood, Um, I don't know why we have a poster at our house of Clint Eastwood. It's in one of our boys uh, rooms, but but he is pretty cool guy. In fact, I bet he's I bet he's really uncomfortable being held right now because Clint was a tough guy. Right. And if you ever saw a Clint Eastwood, if you haven't seen a Clint Eastwood movie, watch Good, Bad and the Ugly or The Pale Rider or something like that. But he was a tough guy. Right. He had an image to maintain. And, and can you imagine a Clint Eastwood movie where he just decided to get authentic? I mean, it'd be a terrible movie. But imagine the scene. Right. 
where they're eating beans around the, the campfire. And Clint's like, well, guys, got some things I want to share. I've never shared with anybody. I just feel like it's something I need to do. So I'm like, well, what, what is it? You know, and he's like, well, you know, all this, you know, my life, you know, all this, all this shooting people and people shooting at me, it gets to you after a while. And I, I've been really dealing with anxiety lately. I've had some panic attacks. And uh, I'm, I'm on Xanax, and, and it's helping, but I just, you know, I just, I need you to kind of watch me a little bit. And, and, and you know how I do relationships. I'm not very good at that. I, I put up a lot of relational walls, and, and, uh, and really when somebody gets close to me, I, I, after a while, I, I, I tend to kill them. I mean, I, it's not good. It's a bad trade. I just shoot them. It's just when they get annoying, and I, I need to stop doing that. And so, uh, you know, I, I mean, wouldn't that be a terrible Clint Eastwood movie? You're like, Clint, come on, man, man up. And because you got the image, right? If anybody would ever, it seemed like God in human form would, would want to project an image of, I've got it going on. I've got it together. I don't need you. But he didn't. Jesus in his humanity struggled in our, just like we struggle in our humanity, and let's just go back to that one story that we just looked at, the Garden of Gethsemane, and just think about it from that perspective. They went to a place called Gethsemane. Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he takes Peter, James, and John along with him. Why? Because he needed them. It wasn't just for their benefit. This was because he needed them. And he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. He could have gone off by himself and gotten deeply distressed and troubled, but he does it right in front of Peter, James, and John. He's not hiding. He's not wearing a mask. He's not projecting an image. And notice what he says and how he says it. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. He doesn't say, guys, this is really difficult, but... I'm going to pray to God, my father, and he's going to strengthen me. I don't need you. And I'm going to be okay. Onward and upward. He doesn't say that. He says, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Meaning, I don't know if I can keep going. I don't even want to keep going. I am so overwhelmed. I'm going to, I feel like I'm going to die with sorrow. I feel like I'm going to die with grief. And all of us at times will feel that weak and that overwhelmed. But Jesus was, a, in his humanity, was feeling that. And with his closest friends, just says, this is what's going on. And if you and I don't take that risk to be known, then we will never know the kind of connection that we're created to experience. And we all know it's just easier not to because you don't know how the other person's going to respond and, you know, what are they going to, how, what are they going to do? And what if they hurt me and all that kind of stuff, right? It's just easier not to, but it's the only way to go. And, and my experience has been that when I'm in a small group with somebody or in a relationship with somebody or a ministry team with somebody, that in order to find these kind of people to be that authentic with, to really let people into our inner struggles and our inner fears and, and what's really going on, is that you kind of have to take people on a trial run a little bit. Just kind of throw out a trial balloon out there and just see how people respond. And, and, and if they respond in a way that's disassociative, like uh, they're just not entering in, maybe they are judgmental and be like, oh man, really? You struggle with that? <laughs> or... They 
just don't connect or they don't interact or they just don't go there with you, that's okay. They're just not going to be one of your teammates in life at that level. You're looking for somebody who will enter into the darkness with you, who will enter into the pain with you, who will enter into the anxiety with you or whatever you're dealing with and just say, man, that's got to be hard. And I want you to know I struggle with things, too. Like it's a me too person. I, me too. And I may not struggle with that or I may not be going through that, but I don't I, I get what it's like to struggle. And, and let's help each other and let's pray for each other. And I, well, that's a good sign, right? That, OK, you're on the way to a deep relationship. And it's also helpful on the other side to draw the other person out. Because it's not easy to be that authentic in Proverbs. Uh, it says the purposes of a person's heart are deep waters. But one who has insight draws them out. Meaning there's all this stuff in our lives underneath the waterline and a person of insight has a way of drawing that out in the other person. Um, that, that just helps you go deeper that way. Um, it happened to me a couple of weeks ago. Uh, John Townsend was one of our speakers when I was away on study break and I didn't know John. Um, and we you know, because of him speaking, had several, have had several, I don't know, four or five conversations. And I mean, he's a psychologist and a counselor and writes all these books about it. So I guess I should have known it would be this way, but, um, but it was still a surprise to me. So we're, I'm talking to him and, and he said, Hey Jeff, how are you doing? Cause I know that man, being a leader in this pandemic over this spring has got to be just demanding and, and, and tough. And, and, uh, so I just want to know, how are you doing? So I started answering the question about all the things that our church is doing and how our church is doing and all that. And he's like, hey, that's really cool. but That's not what I asked. I asked, how are you doing? Not what are you doing or how Chase Oaks Church is doing. I asked, how are you doing? And it wasn't like one of those, how are you doing? You know, it was like, a, you know, when somebody like John Townsend, this counselor, asks you that question, you know, you got to kind of answer it in a deep way and, and, uh, and what I realized, though, is I really hadn't even thought of that question. Like, I had not stopped until that point to even think about, how am I doing? I don't know. I mean, it's been quite a rush. <laughs> in some ways, it's been really, like, energizing. In some ways, it's been really tiring. And, and, and I just started, you know, processing because I hadn't processed at all. And it, it started, you know, several conversations and and. If we had more time, we would have a deep relationship. We went deep pretty quickly, but it still takes time. But it, he drew me out. And so that's one of the things we can do for each other in relationships. Just say, hey, how are you doing? Fine. No, really. What, what's going on inside? Like, how are you doing? And it opens up a whole new window of opportunity. Because all of us are created for deep relationships. Like I said, life is a team sport. In fact, most of spirituality comes to us through the one another's. There's all these one another's in the Bible. Love one another, pray for one another, serve one another, bear one another's burdens, uh, so on. There's a lot of them. It, it, that's the way God, the, the primary instrumentality of life change is other people. And so we have to develop deep relationships. And the only way to get deep is authenticity plus time. Meaning you choose a few people and you choose to be known. How do you find those people? Well, we've hinted at that, talked about that. We're a church built around groups and teams. And let me encourage you to take advantage of that. 
wherever you are in the world right now. This is so cool because now we have digital group. We have online groups. So it doesn't matter where you are. You can be in an online group. We'll also be starting a bunch of in-person groups uh, that are saying, yeah, we'll meet in person and, you know, safe ways. And then some will be hybrid groups. We're starting a bunch of them August 21st. And, and they're different than a lot of our groups. Um, they'll be just for the fall. You can choose to go on after that if you want to. They're built around either gender or interest or life stage, all these different things. You can go on our website right now and find out about all these different groups that are starting. You can't sign up for a group right now, but what you can do is sign up to be reminded. So if you go on, if you go on our website, you can do this thing to say, hey, when these open up, uh, I, want, I want a reminder email that dings me to remember, oh, yeah. I need to sign up for a group because we want to make it really, really easy. And, and, and maybe this fall, even in a pandemic, to make it the most deeply connected fall of our lives. And so let me encourage you to, to take that step. And, and all of us probably also have some people in our, in our lives. Maybe we don't. And that's why the groups will be great. Um, even if you do, the groups will be great. But maybe it's with your spouse or a friend or a a child or a parent or something like that. So, man, I really want to take that deeper. Well, let me encourage you this week to take a, an authenticity plus time step. To take time with that person and choose to go deeper than you might otherwise in your conversation. And just kind of let it out there. And when somebody does that, um, just ask the question back and just say, hey, how are you doing? Like what's really going on in there? And allow God, because he'll, he, he'll always help us do what he wants us to do, and he wants us to have deep relationships. Allow God in that context to take it deeper. And if you do that with somebody and it doesn't go so well, you know, either talk about that and try to work through it. Um, if it's a relationship you're committed to, if it's a new one, maybe it's just not the one. I don't know. Uh, you know, that maybe get another group or do something else. But we all need these kind of relationships. And again, God will help us do that. And so what I want us to do is I want us to pray uh, for our relational depth. And uh, so let's just, wherever you are right now, let's uh, get in a prayerful posture. And prayer is just talking with God and in our own words. And, and so pray with me. Father, I thank you that you want for us uh, what we're talking about right now. The kind of deep relationships that Jesus modeled on this planet and and God, it's just, it's, this is kind of a lonely world. And we're all struggling right now. And so would you help us, even in the midst of this pandemic of COVID and this pandemic of loneliness at the same time, move to greater depth with other people, to build a crew around us, to build a team around us. Father, give us the umph to take the step to get into a group or to prioritize our group or prioritize these relationships or get on a ministry team and find people we can connect with. And Father, I pray even this week in our friendships and our team relationships, our group relationships, our marriages, or whatever those relationships are, God, would you help us go deeper? Would you just give a relational breakthrough to every person right now who's listening and, and open to you? In Jesus' name I pray, amen. amen. And I'm so glad that you joined us online. And I look forward to next week, which is actually a really, really important week as we talk about something called Unity Table, what it means to be invited to the table. Um, please don't miss it. It's important in the life of our church and life of every one of us. And I know even if you're not in our church, you'll be very glad that you do that. So I look forward to seeing you then. 
uh, right now. Uh, you can go to online.chaseoaks.org to uh, find the link to our after party uh, where people are ready uh, to answer any questions or help you take any next step you want. You can also go to the website and find information there. But certainly uh, sign on to the after party. See you next week. Love you. Can't wait.